Hello friends and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. In this week's episode, we are going to be reviewing Planet Unknown, a Dominion expansion, and Res Arcana. And in the discussion topic, we're going to go ahead and delve into board game collections. How many games should you own, realistically? Eight million. All of them. And there's a right answer. <laughs> what, what is the right answer? They'll just have to wait and find out. Yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and get into some games. First up, I want to talk about a game we had a chance to sit down and play at Origins, which is Planet Unknown. This is a polyomino game designed by Ryan Lambert and Adam Ruthberg, are by Yoma, and published by Adam's Apple Games. In this game, players are competing to develop an unknown planet to preserve the future of humanity. They will do this by drafting tiles, placing them on their planet boards, and advancing on the different corporation tracks. Planet Unknown is played over an undetermined number of rounds until one of two different endgame conditions are met. Before the game begins, there will be a rotating space station placed in the middle of the playing area. This is where players will acquire their tiles, and before play begins, each player will place their indicator tile in front of one of the rows of tiles. This is important because on a player's turn, they will rotate the space station until they align the row they want with their indicator tile. This will now present all the players with a row of tiles as well. Then each player will look at the two available tiles they can pick, choose one, and place it on their planet board, typically adjacent to another tile. These tiles usually have different symbols on them, which will advance players on one of the five different tracks on their corporation board. The five tracks are the Civ track, which lets players acquire Civ cards, which usually have some sort of in-game benefit or end-game scoring. There's the Water track, which usually just gives points the higher you advance. There is the rover track, which lets players gain rovers to their planet board and move the ones they have already placed. This is important because a lot of the tiles will have meteor icons on them, which will need to be cleared off with the rovers if you want to score that rover column. There are also six life pods, which can be picked up by the rover, which are also endgame points. There is the tech track, which unlocks in-game abilities like letting players place tiles without the adjacency rule. And finally, there's the biomass track, which gives players one-by-one tiles to place on their planet. One of the most important things to know about these tracks is when you hit certain points, they allow you to advance on another track for free, which leads into the ability to chain a bunch of moves together. The game ends when either a player is unable to place a tile or when one of the tile depots is completely empty. Players score points based on the rows and columns they have completed, how far they advance on their tracks, how many life pods they've rescued, how many meteorites they cleared, any civ cards they may have, and finally, any neighbor objectives they've met. These are endgame conditions placed between adjacent players who are the only ones who can earn these points. I think what makes this game fantastic is the quick simultaneous turns and the combos that you can pull off in those turns. Yeah, so we demoed this game at Origins and there was 12 of us there and he's like, yeah, we got two games. We're going to do six and six. And I was like, oh, we're going to have six people learning a new game. That's going to be awful. But, it's going to take forever. But it was so quick. Like the active player chose the location. Then you got two choices. Everyone, you know, grabbed one of their tiles that they wanted and placed out their tile. And, and that took a little bit. You know, it definitely took time for, you know, some 
some players took longer than others, but everyone was doing it at once. So even if you waited for a slower player, it was real. It was still really quick. Well, there was one player at our table that basically said, "I'm going to be a slow player. Like I, I don't have the spatial reasoning, and I need to look at things and everything." And even then, with that player taking, quote unquote, longer, mm-hmm. it wasn't long by any means. It was a pretty no. fast game. Yeah, and I really like that with polyomino game because. I'm the same way. Like I have to pick up the piece. I have to set it down. I have to flip it because I cannot imagine where it's going to go and picture that. I have to actually physically do that with both the pieces and kind of make my best decision, you know, by trying it out. So I like that that's simultaneous play a lot. I hesitate to call it drafting because in some ways it is because the central space station is this big lazy Susan full of tiles Mm -hmm. and they're arranged in very specific patterns. So one depot is literally going to have the little two by one tile. Mm-hmm. Another depot can have a T tile in it, whatever. So you basically rotate it until you find a configuration or a set of icons that you want. You stop mm-hmm. and then all the other players just have to deal with what you've left them. Mm-hmm. And they get choices. Yeah, you have two choices, but it's not... It's an interest. It's still interesting decision because all of a sudden you show up with something and you're like, "All right, these these aren't great, but I'm going to have to take one regardless mm-hmm. and place it into your onto your planet in some way." Or it might not be what you're going for. Yeah, I like that that the the choice is the active player. Like you might want to choose a specific tile because of its shape, and you've got a hole in there that you want to make that happen. And at one point, I had set my tiles up knowing I was going to be the active player and one or two turns and I could leave this really specific spot because I knew I could I would be able to choose that piece and um, put it in that hole that I wanted. So I like that a lot. But also you might be wanting like specific icons like you said. So you might choose your piece based on which has the icons up because all the pieces in that spot, they're all the same size, but each piece has different icons that you're go- you might want to consider as well. Because there's, there's a lot to think about when it comes to both this, the type of polyomino you're going to take and the mm-hmm. symbols that are represented. Because yeah. I might not take the best piece, but I might take, okay, I might take this piece because I know it's going to give me, it's going to allow me to increase on the Civ track, which is going to give me another Civ card, or it's going to allow me to bump up on another track, which then unlocks another ability that I might have. So there's... There's a lot of different things you're thinking about as you're playing it. Yeah, I can't think of any other polyomino game that has specific pictures. Maybe um, that llama game, that one has pictures on it of the different resources that you get when you cover them up. Llama Land? Llama Land. Yeah. I like that. The the fact that you're, you know, you've got some tension between the, the, the shape of the pieces, but also like the specific pictures on there, the icons. And, and there's, what is there, five tracks? There's five tracks. There's there's more than there's. I think there's seven icons. I want to say because there's the meteorite icon, mm-hmm. and then there's the energy icon. I believe it's energy, which allows you to double the increase on the track. Yeah. So there's five tracks, and you're not going to make all of them. You're not going to get all of them up to the top. So at some point, you want to try to get. Um, you want to try to focus on those two that, you know, maybe two or three that you're highest in and get those all the way up and kind of ignore the other ones because you're not very high. You're not going to get a whole lot out of it. So I like the tension in that, and that's really unique. I like the way they've set up their scoring as well because 
you score based on completing rows and columns. And obviously in the center is the longest that you're going to have to fill up, but they're worth the most amount of points. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty common thing, right? The longer row or column that you got to fill, the more points you're going to get. Cool. But then in order to score them, you need to make sure there's no meteorites because the meteorite automatically negates that. So now you have to move these rovers around to pick up these meteorites. But, Picking up meteorites isn't a bad thing because mm-hmm. yeah, they give you points. And I know you and I, the the neighboring objectives, which I want to get to in a second, but so picking up those meteorites both will give you a point for picking that up, and then it will also give you allow you to score those rows and columns, right? Increasing yeah. on those tracks score you points. There's those neighbor objectives. So you and I had an objective that you and I were fighting over. It's whoever cleared the most amount of meteorites. Mm -hmm. It was only you and I were the only ones that were trying to achieve this. No one else was. I really enjoyed that, that piece of it. Cause I was able, I was looking enough at the boards next to me to care about what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, a lot of the game is just kind of do your own thing. There's not necessarily a ton of interaction except, you know, rotating the space station, but very rarely am I going to move something to both benefit me and hinder an opponent more often than not, I'm just picking the thing that I want and then everyone mm-hmm. else can do their thing. But these objectives give enough that I need to pay attention to what Natasha's doing. Cause if she gets more meteorites than me, I need to make sure I'm on top of that game so I can beat her at that and score those five points. Yeah. I like that too. Some of them can contradict each other. You could have one on one side of you that contradicts the one on the other side of you. So there is a little bit of that. Yeah. I what the ones I had, weren't that bad did you Mm -hmm. did you experience that in the game yeah i had i had one that was like the least amount of rover spots and you need the rovers to go around and collect the meteorites so so then on your side i had collect the most meteorites so i mean i certainly could have done it you know i could have moved the meteor using um or the rover differently but um so i i just gave up on the one and went for the meteors oh because it was against me probably right yeah, I was against you. Well, I was getting a lot of the media, the rover um, icons, so I was I was high on the rover track, so I gave up on that right away. There's also we played the we happened to play the basic game, and you can rotate or flip. You can flip all the planet boards and actually do a more like advanced game where every planet's slightly different, which I think is cool. Like there's there, I feel like there's a ton of replayability in this game. Just mm-hmm. based on the fact that you can play six players, you have a variety of boards, you can flip them, they're going to be different, they're going to have different uh, terrain types that you're dealing with, different spots where the life pods are. Because one of the things too is like the water tiles need to actually be connected to the water that's flowing through the planet, otherwise they don't work. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was kind of an interesting restriction as well. I liked it. I thought it was a great new ta- take on a polyamino game. I like polyamino plus like Isle of Cats. You've got the polyaminos, but the drafting as well. This is like polyaminos with these tracks. So it's, it's like polyaminos plus, And I like that. Well, I mean, it has tracks. So naturally, I when I found out I, at first, I was like, man, OK, I'll, I mean, I will be willing to give it a try. And then the when I found out they had tracks, I was like, oh, sign me, sign me up for that. Uh-huh. I'm going to climb as high up these tracks as I possibly can. Oh, I can get Civ cards and I can get special things. Oh, I'm I'm climbing up that one as much as I possibly can. So like a traditional polyamino game, you're kind of taking the best tiles that's going to fit within 
you know what what you've kind of got set up i'm thinking like patchwork right you you your 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 whole goal is just to fill in the board that's it where isle of cats and this planet unknown yeah you want to fill out as much as you can for sure but there's more things to think about so i really like those games with that tension between you know filling out your board but going for other objectives do you think this is one of your favorite polyamino games Yes, I don't know that I like it better than Isle of Cats because I really like Isle of Cats, but I it, but it's up there. Is Isle of Cats your favorite polyomino game? It it is. Yep. At okay. least it was until I played Planet Unknown, and I don't know. It could go either way. I think I'd probably still stick with the Isle of Cats because I just love the drafting. But but I really like the tracks, and I just want to explore this more. I've, we've only played it the one time at Origins, so yeah. Still getting that one play in was. It was solid. Like you felt like you grasped the game right away. You could understand it. I think this could be a great uh, welcoming game because it's not terribly complicated either, but it's still got a lot to it. Yeah, there's a couple. I think it can satisfy both newer gamers and seasoned gamers mm-hmm. because it gives it gives enough choices where a seasoned gamer can have the kind of depth and strategy they're looking for to explore, but it's still simple enough that somebody new to the hobby can grasp the idea of okay i want to just fill in the planet as much as i possibly can and if you just focus on that you can still do well because you're still going to be progressing on tracks you're still going to be able to get these sort of things you're not necessarily developing a strategy per se but mm-hmm. it's i i think a lot of people can like this game yeah i after i played it i was like i need to own this game mm-hmm. it was yeah i really enjoyed it so what would you rate it uh nine out of ten Nine out of ten. I'm giving it an eight out of ten. Like I said, I went into it with kind of low expectations. I'm I was pretty happy with my experience. I want to play it more. I think it might increase on my list the more I play it. I think I might enjoy it more. I would definitely recommend giving this game a try if you like polyomino games and if you like tracks. This game <laughs> does the thing with tracks that I love the most, which is oh, I bumped up this track. Well, guess what? That allows me to bump up this other track. Oh, that allows me to bump up this other track too. And it's just chaining these moves together. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, it, I think there's something special with this game, and I, I, I really need to make sure I get a copy and and play it. But that is Planet Unknown. All right. Next up, I want to talk about the new Dominion expansion, Allies. So this is an expansion to Dominion, which is a deck building game. Many would say the deck building game. The godfather of deck building games. Yeah. <laughs> Designed by Donald X. Veracchino. Art is by Matthias Katrine. Published by Rio Grande Games. So in this game, the game of Dominion, players are trying to get the most points by buying the most victory point cards. On your turn, you dry, draw five cards. You play one action card. Then you reveal all your treasure cards. Add up your total coins and make one purchase. The newly purchased card, along with all the cards drawn that turn, goes into your discard pile and five new cards are drawn. If you get enough coins, you can purchase a victory card, but victory cards are usually not good for anything except end game scoring. So you don't want to start buying them too soon or your deck will suffer. The heart and soul of Dominion is all about knowing when to stop buying action and treasure cards that will help you throughout the game and to start grabbing those victory point cards that will actually win you the game. What makes Dominion so fun is the endless card combo that that is Dominion with all its expansions. Each game you play with 10 sets of cards, you know, randomly selected and see seeing how each set combos together with each other is where the fun really is at. 
So you only get one action each turn, but you may play a card that gives you two more actions. So then you can play your another action card in your hand, and that card might let you draw another card or maybe play another action card. On your turn, you only start with five cards, but you may get a chance to draw more and more. And that is really how you get enough coins to get those victory point cards, or at least the good ones. So this expansion, it has a lot of um, just more of the same traditional action cards that each have a unique twist to them. It also introduces these ally cards, and they are used if you choose cards to play with that give you favors. The allied cards tell you what you can spend the favors on. It also introduces these split pile cards. So um, you've got one stack of cards, and there's four cards on top that are all the same, and then then four other cards are a little bit better, and then four more cards are even better, and then four more cards that are like the best. You know, they get pricier each time you go. And when you purchase those cards, it lets you rotate those types of cards through there so you can get to those bottom ones that are really good. So it kind of changes it up, gives you a little bit more variety. It's got a couple um, duration cards that were used in the um, Seaside expansion. You know, it's got a couple treasure cards that are action and treasure. It's got some victory point and action cards as well. It's got just, just more of the same, right? But I really liked it. I thought it was really good. It's the 14th expansion. Jeez. It's 14th? Oh, yes. my lord. I love Dominion. It's one of my favorite games for sure. It was one I got on. I got into early on in my hobby. So I did go out and buy, like, at the time, all the expansions. So I have a ridiculous amount of Dominion. And then I quit buying them. But I picked this one up because I heard how good it was. And I enjoyed playing it quite a bit. My recommendation, if you really like Dominion or if you're interested in Dominion, you should totally get get one of the one of the base games. There's two different ones. Either one, it doesn't matter. And then get Prosperity and Seaside in this expansion. You just get those three and you're set. You don't need to buy them all. There's <laughs> so many, it can be overwhelming. If you already have them all, then obviously you love it and that's great too. But if you're interested, I would recommend the base game and then Prosperity and then either this one or Seaside. You know, or both of those. I think they introduced the most unique things about um, Dominion. Yeah, I really liked the allies portion of things. The The cards that, that you have four of and then you shift them to the bottom, then you shift them to the bottom, that I didn't necessarily care that much about. It was fine. Yeah, it was fine. Like it was just more... Work. No, it was just more Dominion, right? So yeah. instead of playing with 10 piles you're playing with potentially 10 plus another couple because there's only a couple piles but they give you access to more cards during game Mm -hmm. which is it was fine i don't i don't want to say i didn't care one way or another but it was fine i don't necessarily think it was all that meh whatever Mm -hmm. the allies though i liked that i really enjoyed that because first of all the stack of allies that you get is so many I like I don't even know how many there's probably at least 30 and the fact that you have so much replayability with those allies and then you're acquiring these favors and then you can cash them in it's one of the games I think we played you could cash I don't know seven favors but you drew five cards yeah I think it was only four favor tokens but then you could draw five cards at the start of your turn so knowing like when to draw to spend those because it did take a few turns to get four favors you usually you might be able to get one or one on each turn every couple turns you get one every couple turns so it was really powerful but expensive yeah you couldn't uh you couldn't do it all the time you were almost just biding your time for when you wanted an explosive turn yeah and go from there 
Mm-hmm. Like if you were so, if you almost got your eight coins to buy the prosperity, uh, or not prosperity, buy the province um, victory point card, yeah, that's when you kind of want to use it if you're close to getting that. Yeah, you want, yeah, I wanted to definitely cash it in, but I liked the one that allowed you to trash cards because trashing cards is obviously my favorite thing to do in Dominion. Trashing cards is your favorite thing in Dominion, just so yeah, because you, you can thin out your deck as yeah, as I like a really thin deck, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Let's let's take a second and just talk about Dominion as a whole before because okay. Dominion is the granddad of deck building games in general, and it's it's themeless. The artwork is decent. I don't know if by today's standards it's good. It's it's fine. I would say there's a it's lot not of no- noticeable or memorable. Yeah, it's it's forgettable. To sit, you know, and obviously, like I said, the the theme, like there's theme there, but re- like realistically, it's not. And the one thing it does that a lot of new deck builders have changed is you only get to play one action and you only get one buy. Mm-hmm. Where you know the deck builders since then, you dump your hand and you get to do stuff based on what's in your hand. Mm-hmm. Dominion definitely has this all right, I need to make sure I'm buying these extra action cards so that I can do these extra actions, which allow me to get extra buys and do a lot of these different things. And it plays so quickly that it has this real nice, you're doing stuff, you're doing stuff, you're doing stuff, and then all of a sudden you're almost biding your time for when you're going to shift to just start buying buying all the scoring cards, mm-hmm. right? For me, D- Dominion is not a game that I own. I used to. I don't, I got rid of it just because... I can, if I really needed, if I really had the hankering to play Dominion, I can always probably play it. I mean, Natasha's got an, this huge wooden box full of Dominion. You just have to come to my house because I'm not take, taking it anywhere. You're not going to, you're not going to sling that around with you? <laughs> no. But it, it definitely, there's, I definitely appreciate what Dominion does and I definitely appreciate what it has, how it's changed the hobby and how it's created the deck building genre and how many of these game great games have pulled from this that idea and have developed it and like take something like Lost Ruins of Arnak you know it has some deck building aspects in it a little bit but without Dominion you don't have that mhm so there's there's definitely something special about that game but I love Dominion I played the heck out of it and it was like one of the first games I bought went crazy bought it all played it and played it my cards are super worn yeah i love it and then i quit playing it once i got that big box to put it in because it kind of became such a pain because i had too many cards and it was just became too overwhelming i quit playing it completely and then i just started playing it again a little over like about a year ago or so and with my kids and I, when i started playing it again i was like god this game is so good i really like it i still like it better than all other deck building games because I like the simplicity of it. I like that you just have currency. Other, a lot of deck building games do like you have power and com- currency, right? You have money and like attack power, you know, however that yep. is. Yep. And I like the simplicity of Dominion where it's only about buying cards. That's it. It's putting together the combo that will progress the game the fastest. That will earn you, yeah, that will get you those point cards the fastest because once that last um, province is it's bought in the game immediately ends. So if you're if you're behind, if you're slowest to get those victory point cards, you won't win. Did you say boughten? I think you said boughten. Mm. Last last one to be boughten. Last one to be bought. Yeah. Are you happy? You know. Yeah. Correct English, please. It's all made up. Yeah. 
Anyway, so what do you what do you rate uh, Dominion Allies? Um, I would give it uh, eight out of ten. Yeah, I'd give it an eight out of ten too. It's a good expansion, actually. Mm-hmm. It's it's a really good expansion. I really like the allies. Yeah, if you're a big Dominion fan, it's definitely worth picking up, even if you like me and quit buying. It. You're like, I'm not buying any more expansions. It's still worth getting. Um, it's a good one, but you know, if you have enough, then that's fine too. <laughs> I mean, fourteen expansions—that's a lot. Do you think anyone owns all of them? I think lots of people own all of them. <laughs> probably, probably that's true. I don't think there's very many people that own just a few so how do you decide what cards to play random no i mean but you i know it's random like i understand how you're supposed to do it but how would how would you do it if i'm coming over to your house right now and we're gonna play i'm natasha we're playing dominion how are you gonna set it up are you gonna grab the ones you want i often grab at least one or two that i like and then i try to make a variety so i try to get you know, like a card, at least one that's worth two coins, a couple three, a couple four, a couple five, maybe one that's six. You know, I try to change that up and I make sure I've got a few variety types, like, you know, one that gives you extra actions, one that gives you extra cards. You know, I just try to like strategically grab them. Do you have a set of like 10 cards that you really like to play with? No. My favorite way to play is the pros- with the Prosperity expansion because then you get that platinum and then there's an extra victory point cards that are higher too and i like pulling out those really expensive action cards that they have that's my favorite i could play just the prosperity and be happy you know base game prosperity good golden a lot of people like the intrigue expansion too that is a the base game actually you could buy the original or the intrigue right i think intrigue can be is a a standalone? standalone expansion i think but I hear that one can be mean. Um. Yeah, I don't remember it being that interesting to me. I think you could go with either one. Sure, it'd be more interactive. If you want to be more interactive, intrigue is the way to go. Yeah, yeah. You certainly don't need both, though. Don't don't get um, Dominion fatigue and buy them all. I don't recommend that. <laughs> uh. It's just too much. <laughs> too much. All right, still love Dominion overall. Great expansion. Worth checking out if you're a big Dominion fan. And haven't um, gotten sick of it yet. <laughs> that is Dominion Allies. All right. The next game I want to talk about is Res Arcana. This is an engine building game designed by Tom Lehman, art by Julian Duvall, published by Sandcastle Games. In this game, players are rival mages using magical essences and items to build artifacts, control monuments, and control places of power. They do this by taking actions round to round until one player gets to 10 victory points, which triggers the end of the game. Each player begins the game with a mage, which is the player's personal player power, eight artifact cards, which can be randomly dealt or drafted by the players, and then in reverse order, they can take a magic item, which gives them a benefit during that round only. Each round begins by players collecting essence from any collectabilities or from cards that they have stored essence on. Then in turn order, each player will take one action at a time until all players have passed for that round. Players can place an artifact into their tableau, paying the cost. They could claim a monument or a place of power, also paying the appropriate cost. They can discard an artifact card from their hand to gain either one gold or two essences of their choice. They can use a power on one of the cards in their tableau, or they can pass, which lets players gain the first player token, which is worth one victory point, 
You can swap a magic item for another magic item, and then finally you're going to draw one card. It's important to know that each player will only ever get eight artifact cards. There is no way to acquire extra cards. They will need to make do with the cards that they have. I think what makes this game interesting is figuring out how to use those eight artifact cards that you have to generate points. It's Mm -hmm. almost like you're creating this jalopy of an engine and trying to run it to generate points as quickly as you possibly can. This is a race game for sure. Each card gives you things, but very few give you points. You have to like use those things that the card gives you to figure out a way to get points. It's really, really like narrow of a game. It's interesting because there's two there's two ways you can get those artifact cards. One, you can just get randomly dealt eight cards, right? Mm-hmm. Which you just kind of, you have the opportunity to look at them and say, okay, how can I use these cards to generate points? Okay. Mm-hmm. Or you can draft. In some ways, I kind of like just getting eight cards and dealing with what you get. Yeah. There's a little bit more randomness because some cards interact better with other cards. So somebody in theory could get a few cards together that work really well and generate a nice like flowing engine. Mm -hmm. So you could get left behind, so to speak. But I don't know, there's something about like there's just something about taking those cards and saying, geez, how the heck am I gonna do something? And then as you're playing, you're like, all right, if I discard this card, I can get these two essences. And then that will allow me to activate this card, which will give me those essences. Then that will give me enough to, you know, transfer this or whatever. It's just, there's a lot of little things going on. Yeah. And on your turn, so you start the game by drawing three cards. You know, you shuffle them up and draw three cards. Cool. And then every turn after that, you get one more card. So if you use all three of your cards, which you often do your first turn, you you have one card that turn to play. It's It's so lean. Like, I don't, I don't understand how this game is so good. Like, it just sounds like it should be not good. Like, how are these random cards going to interact and give you points? But they somehow do. And I have no idea how. I do not look at my hand and go, oh, how am I going to generate points? I shuffle them up, pull, pull up three and go, what can I do with these cards? <laughs> I don't know. I, I like to look at them just because I can kind of try to formulate a plan. Because sometimes I'll be like, this card is completely useless to me. So I'm just well, going to discard it for whatever. It's nice whatever. to have a useless card because you need at least one card that you can draw and discard for resources. You know, because yes. at some point in the game, like, you don't want to build them all because they're not going to get you anything. You get a card that gives you red, but you have no use for red. So what? Use that to discard it for your blue ones that you want. Right. The main ways you're going to score points, there are certain cards that give you points. Typically, they're dragons. And the dragons usually... When you activate their power, they target the other players and do something to them. But most of the time, you're going to be scoring points from the monuments. Most monuments, you have to pay four gold, and you can, you'll can you get the monument, and you'll get a certain amount of victory points, or those places of power. And generally speaking, those places of power will accumulate points based on doing stuff. So, for example, you, the Catacombs of the Dead. You need like nine death essence in order to buy it. But every time you activate it, you can add a death essence to it, which gives you a victory point. But then there's other ways that don't cause you to exhaust it. Tap. Like if you tap the card, you can't use it again. 
Sometimes you have abilities to be able to continuously activate it and put those resources on it or that kind of thing. And there's like two expansions that have come out. I don't know how they were able to come up with a set of cards that will all work in some way with each other. Yeah. You know, it's like you get eight when you first learn the game and you're like, I'm only going to ever get these eight cards. Like, what am I supposed to do? Right. You're like, there's no way I'm going to be able to make points. And then all of a sudden you just kind of start going through it and you start doing stuff and you start seeing how things interact. And next thing you know, like you're scoring some points or. It works really good. And you so you play a card out and then often the card will give you some kind of benefit, maybe income at the start in the next turn. And then also maybe a special ability that you can, you know, tab to do or or spend resources to get other resources. They're all pretty simple, but man, they just the way that they all interact with each other is really, really, really fun. You know, that's a fun little card game. I like the expansions. I especially like the first one with the demons. Yes. I think that one, it's an instant buy. Go ahead and buy it and add it to the thing. There's another one with the pearls, and that changes a little bit more of the game because uh, pearls are worth a victory point. So then you want to get to 12 victory points instead of 10. So it definitely changes the game a little bit more. Um, if you're a big fan of Razarkhan and you want more, then I definitely recommend it. If you're get, just getting new to it, I would just start with the, the base game and that first expansion. The expansions do what a good expansion should do, and that's just add more content. Mm-hmm. Give you more stuff to play around with. New cards to look at. You know, that the Pearl Essence, which is, you know, more rare than gold, and it just gives you more Res Arcana stuff. I will, like, I do have a complaint about the game. And, well, two, technically I have two complaints. The first complaint is the iconography on it kind of sucks. You have to play the game several times in order to, like, I think really understand it. There's, it's not as intuitive as I would like for the type of game that it is. Yep, it's not intuitive at all. But once you learn it, you learn it and it makes sense. Yeah, and you and you get it down, and that's fine. But it it takes a it takes a bit for you to recognize what all the iconography means. Okay, and I think the second one is this is the kind of game that you can be incredibly good at. We've referenced this game before, and one of the people we play with has gotten to the point where, depending on the types of cards he has and the types of places of power, he can be like, "Yeah, I can usually win in four turns." Mm-hmm. I've, I don't think I've ever come into a game of Res Arcana, looked at my artifacts and the places of power and be like, I'm winning in four. Just saying. Like, like <laughs> there's no, rounds. there's no yeah. way I can do that. Right. No, I, yeah, he can predict exactly when he's going to win. <laughs> that's a different, that's a whole different level of thinking, but that's not, it's like, it's a complaint for me, but I think for the game, it's not. I think if a game can be that thinky and that you can develop that much strategy, that's actually not a bad thing. He's so good at that because he plays um, online all the time. So he's spent a lot of time playing. He's become really, really good. Yeah, it's definitely, it's surprisingly enough, it's a race game I actually like. Mm-hmm. I don't typically like race games, but this this game you are racing to 10 points. 10 points. Yeah, you're racing to that 10 points. And yeah, there's just something about it. I think part of it is that engine building that kind of trying to create this like, engine that is just trying to chug along as best as you possibly can Mm -hmm. i don't know if i would honestly recommend drafting or just getting a random set of cards i recommend random set of cards 
Um, I never want to draft with our friend who is really good at this game because he'll know what cards combo together, and I don't, even though I've played it. I think we've played it probably about 20 times or so. Yeah, I wouldn't know how to draft. I would prefer just to get a set of cards dealt to me. What if he wasn't playing? Would you want to draft? Nah, still not. Because I just, then I just choice a bad choice. I don't know. I don't know enough, like, what I want. You know what I mean? I'd rather just get cards, and it, it seems to work fine. You just get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. There you go. Never throw a fit. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I think drafting is nice once you get a group of players that know the game through and through you can draft and have See, a good time with it and it adds like it adds a new level that said i do like getting just a bunch of random cards because drafting it, is great when you have a large deck of cards and you need a specific card like terraforming mars right Dra- i love drafting there i hate dealing them out i will always always draft because there's cards like that you specifically want that go with your card combo and that works well in the game like that you have played a little bit and now you're like second round and you're drafting. But Res are kind of to draft completely at the beginning of the game, not knowing what your strategy is going to be until you until you draft that first card. You know, I just don't, to me, it's not a drafting game. I feel like it's really best where you just randomly get the cards you get and you make your best out of it because I, I think that they all play really well together. They definitely have a good interaction. I think... New players should not draft this game at all. There's there's no reason for a new player to draft this game. But I think, I don't know, I think if you have a group that's played this game a bunch of times and everyone's, you know, on an equal playing field, you draft and you go from there. And then you can have a little meta game before the game even starts. Yeah, it's certainly an option. What would you rate this game? I give it a, a nine. I really like it. Ooh, nine. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was surprised me because I thought the theme is like really super dull. It's about magic, sorcerers, and dragons. Would you rather it be about space? Literally anything besides fantasy. But despite it, it's still a great <sighs> game. Oh my God. The artwork is good, though. It is good. Mm-hmm. And the theme goes like it's kind of cute. You get like the bow and arrow and the, the, the cards, like they, I don't know, they kind of make sense. They interact with each other. I don't know. A dragon egg that helps you build a dragon. Build a dragon? You're going to build it? You're not going to. By having like the, you know, resources to. You're going to build a dragon. That's, yeah. Mm -hmm. You need an egg to build a dragon, huh? Well, I don't know what you're doing. Grow a dragon? (laughs) Spawn a dragon? Maybe spawn a dragon? I don't know. How do you hate a fantasy so much but love sci-fi? Because they're totally different things. I mean, you can't, you, it's like you don't even respect fantasy. That's exactly it. <laughs> I hit, I hit the nail on the head when I said you don't respect it's fantasy. It's all completely made up. Like there's no so rules So science in fiction. Yeah, it's there's, fiction. There's no but, such thing as the Starship Enterprise. Okay, yes, but there's rules. The Starship Enterprise has a f- fictional reason that they can fly through space and they 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 restrict everything within the you know within the walls of uh reality that's exactly what fantasy does no fantasy it's completely made up it's a hundred percent made up there's okay. no rules the, about like give me a good fantasy with some good rules about what you can and can't do and maybe i'll enjoy it i don't understand how that is that is how fantasy is different than made up warp drive for the starship enterprise 
Because if I told it to somebody we didn't know, they would believe that it's real. What? Like, like, okay, we watched The Martian and my daughter was like, is this based on a real story? I'm like, no, it's fake. It's made up. It's fiction. But it feels like it could be real. It's just, you know, we're not there yet. But fantasy, if you just take straight fantasy with no magic, I mean, technically, that's real. What's there fantasy? was sword fighting what, back in the medieval. What's fantasy without magic? Like, give me an example. Medieval fantasy. Take after the, um, after that's the empire. That's just medieval. That's his- historical. Oh, my God. I don't get it. You wouldn't. I don't let. We're just. Okay, we're going to table this. You know what? <laughs> we're tabling this. At some point, this is going to come back up. Okay. But, yeah, so to go back to ratings, I. I like the game. It's a race game, even though even though it's a race game, I do like this game. I'm giving it a seven out of ten. Uh, for me, that's honestly, I think, pretty high, just based on my liking of race type games. So I I definitely recommend giving this game a try if you like engine building games with fast gameplay. You should definitely give this game a try. Like I said, I don't really like racing games, but I do enjoy this one. Like I said, mm-hmm. I gave it a seven out of ten. And that is Res Arcana. That is going to wrap up the games we're reviewing this week. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about board game collections. All right, Bob. Let's talk collections. Board game collections specifically. Let's do it. How many board games do you own? Oh, man. I actually know that number. (laughs) <laughs> 204. Okay. I'd say that's a pretty modest collection compared to most board games. I, I'd stand correct. 205. 205. Okay. But that's, that's eh, it's really like 202. Okay. I have some Funkoverse uh, expansions and they count them as individual games, but I only count them as one. So I have the, like the Harry Potter stuff. So uh, they count those as individual games and I disagree. I think it's all just one game. How many do you have? No, actually, I have I have more than a hundred, but less than two hundred. I'm guessing like maybe like one twenty. How do you not know that exact number? I've never counted them. How do you? You know don't that? have them on like Board Game Geek. No, I have a lot oh. of kids' games too, so I, I I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of games when my friends come over. So, how many games do you need to be a board gamer? Definitive answer. Definitive answer. Mm-hmm. How many games do you need to to be? Like a board game enthusiast, or sure. to be considered uh, into the hobby? How many? I can't answer that question. I I really there's as a much as I would answer. Lo- I told you there's a correct answer. You know the and you have it. Okay. okay, I'll say the minimum amount. The minimum amount to be a board game enthusiast. Ten. Wrong. Eh, what is it? Uh, zero. You don't need to own any games. Come on. Oh my! Oh my lord. <laughs> So that's how this is going to be. Okay. Here's the reality. Everybody, we love to collect games. That's a thing, which is fine, which is great. I would never discourage somebody from buying everything they want to buy. By all means, if you're a collector, buy everything. That's fine. But you do not need to own these games. All you got to do is find a friend that owns them already. <laughs> yes. Mooch off their collection. All right. But you, let's say you want you do want to start your own collection because you want to invite people over to play games uh what would be your advice to those folks like uh who are feeling really overwhelmed because they maybe have bought one game 
and you know they want to start expanding their collection that is an interesting question to pose cuz i i have some i have some definite thoughts about board game collections and collecting games in general cuz it's i think it's tough because when i first started getting into the board gaming hobby i there's a couple things i thought in order for me to truly be a board game enthusiast i needed a hundred games. Like that was a huge milestone to hit. It was when you hit a hundred games, you know? Yeah. And now that I think about it, I'll, I'll like on the different board game groups or whatever on Facebook and I'll see people and they're like, I'm just, you know, modest collection. They'll have 15, 20 titles. And like, that's more than enough for some people. Yeah. You know? It's, it's a great, it's a great amount of games. Yeah. I, the, the problem with, having as many games as I have is when you're like, huh, what do you want to play? But for somebody brand new coming in, it's so incredibly difficult to circle back to your question for a brand new person getting in and trying to cultivate, grow a collection. It's so hard because there's so many things out there about gateway games, uh, essential games, everyone should own and everything. And there's, for the most part, a general list of probably 10 to 30 games. Everyone's like, oh man, if you're like, you need to like, these are the games you really need to own that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I know for me, those were the lists I went to. And those are the lists that I would look at and buy games for. The problem is a lot of those games didn't stay in my collection because I didn't know necessarily what I liked until I started playing games. And now I'm so much more selective about what I add or keep in my collection now, but Mm -hmm. I've been playing games for a long time. So it's hard for a new person. Yeah. I think those lists are super, super helpful and they can help direct you into where to start. But my advice would be don't buy a game just because it's on somebody's list because everybody's tastes vary. I would wait to see if you can try it first, you know, if you have the opportunity to try it or rent it or anything like that or borrow it from a friend, that would be my first recommendation. See if you like it and you want to play it. Um, Or just wait until you kind of learn a little bit more, like if they compare it to a game you really like or stuff like that. Because when you, if you do go out and buy 10 of the welcoming games, you you might like a few and want to keep a few, but eventually they'll probably, you'll get sick of them, you know, because they're they're more basic games, right? They're welcoming games. My advice would be, and this is what I try to do when I buy a board game. I try not to buy a board game that I'm excited about and, and want to own. I try to limit it to buying when I have a plan to play it. So if I have people coming over and we're excited about a new game, I will go out and buy it. And then my plan that is to play it that weekend. You know, So I'm not buying games, bringing them into my home, putting them on my shelf, and not getting a chance to play them. I try to only buy ones that I have a plan to play. I mean, I wish I could say the same thing, but that's not how I go. That's not how I run my show over here. I find that if I don't do that, they sit on my shelf for a year and then I'm overwhelmed and I have no desire to actually get it out and teach myself how to play it. I need to be excited in order to like, you know, how much I hate learning new games. So one, I don't buy games I don't know how to play. Yeah, I think the biggest difference is you don't like to learn how to play games. Well, mm-hmm. you don't like to read the rule book and have to teach a game. You'd rather somebody teach you the game mm-hmm. than you learn it on your own. 
And I think that's the biggest difference. Mm-hmm. I usually won't buy a game until I've played it. I will buy games that I haven't played once that I know about and I'm excited about. I'll definitely buy those. But I do try to limit it to, yeah, ones I've actually played and know I like and, and know the game and have a plan to play it. Because if I don't get it out and teach it soon, I'm going to forget how to play it. And then now it's out of my mind and I'll, I'll never take the time to relearn it. So to me, like, that's why I don't want those games in my collection because they sit there and then I don't end up playing them. To me, I like collecting games with the purpose of playing them. If I'm not going to play them, I don't want to own them. How do you go about researching games then? I watch a lot of YouTube and listen to podcasts. But I get honestly, I get most of my uh, recommendations from my friends that play because then they teach me how to play a game. But then that means they own them. So then I'm like, oh, I don't really need to own it because they own it and they like it. And then I do buy games for my friends who do get sick of the games. And I really like it. Then I buy it from them. Instead of just going out and buying a new copy. Mm-hmm. I think the one benefit, too, of this hobby is there the secondhand market's actually pretty solid. Yeah. So there's, plenty, there's a few Facebook groups that offer... People will be selling used games or I know we have a couple local game stores here that will sell used games. So it's sometimes it's kind of nice to be able to pick up something that's been lightly played and you get to take it and you get to play it yourself for not necessarily paying full MSRP for for Mm -hmm. a game. Right. So that's that's definitely another alternative. Yeah, I agree. And people are always trying to get, you know, called on their collection. Yeah, I got to do a little. I think 200 is a little high. I think I need to bring it down a little bit, but I don't know. Do you have any, like, do you have a max amount of games that you're willing to, like, hold or anything or no? No, but I think I'm going to keep it to the shelving units that I have. So that will be my max. Although some of them don't mind Dominion boxes not fit in that on there. But So I have a few spots to put my games and I'm not going to buy more um, shelving units for it. So that'll, that, that'll be what limits me. But I do try to get rid of games too. Like I get rid of games that I really enjoy, but we played a ton and I, w- I don't see us playing it anymore. So I get rid of those games as well. Like you're not going to keep a game around even if you think you're going to bring it out maybe once a year? I would if I thought I would, but also I have to want to bring it out once a year. Like I could definitely play it, but I'll probably want to play the new stuff. So I, or Or I know that other people have it. So if I really want to play it, I can always play their copy. You know, I think I I think I'm unique in this. I think a lot of people really enjoy owning and collecting games. And I don't want to ever say that that that's not valid either. That's perfectly fine. You know, by all means, if it brings you happiness and joy, then then do it and own them. And if you don't have access to a game store and you're the one into it and you love having people over and you're going to get all those games played or even if you're not, but you enjoy having them in your collection. Great. But that does, but you don't need that is my point. You know, you can have five games and have a great game night, you know, and as you and your friends, like a lot of people like playing the same game over and over again. So your friends will probably enjoy that. And then when they do get sick of playing the same game, then, you know, it's a good time to buy a new game. And then get rid of the other game, right? You can, or, you know, you play it less. That's fine too. I don't know. For me with, as far as collecting for me is part of the hobby. Playing games is part of it. Collecting games is another part of it. So for me, it's 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 both. Having the ability to have some of these games, I enjoy you know getting some of these new games, experiencing them, even if 
you know, I'm the one who's buying it, being able to sit down. I do do more, I, I don't want to say research per se, but I have a much better idea. Like I said earlier, I have a much better idea of the types of games I'm going to like now as opposed mm-hmm. to when I first started. I have the criteria that a game needs to hit for me to buy is different now, and it's obviously higher than it was before. Yep. I think it's um, one thing to consider as you're buying games, because you're always going to buy games and end up not liking them, is to not not to beat yourself up about it and or not and not to hold on to the game because you think you might still want to play it. Go ahead and get rid of it. And especially if it's a new game that you just bought. Like, for ex- example, I bought Metal because I thought for sure I'd love it, played it and was like, I don't like this game at all. I immediately sold it up in consignment at our local game store and it sold right away. So selling it right away when it's a new game is a great idea because the longer you hold on to it, the less, you know, the less value it'll have, the less quickly it'll sell. I don't know. I mean, there's some out of print games that you can sell for, I mean, take Battlestar Galactica. I mean, in order to buy something like that, you're spending hundreds of dollars in order to get a copy of that game. There are a few out there for sure, but that's not the norm. How would you feel about expansions compared to buying base games? Um, I don't typically buy a lot of expansions because... Except it's, if it's Dominion. Except for Dominion. <laughs> I think I learned my lesson from that and am and, and, and toning down the expansion buying because I don't... I, I don't know. I just... I tend to like the game as is and adding an expansion just makes it more complicated, more things to like figure out and more things to learn and more things to remember. So unless it's just like simply adding more stuff and I can keep it in there and not ever know that the expansion was added, I, I typically avoid them. So you're, you said your collection is over 100, but less than 150, right? Yeah, yeah, I think in that range. Do you think you own too many games? Yes, I own more than I play. Okay, so how many games do you think, if you, if you could say this is a magic number of games for you specifically, I, I wouldn't ever do that. I would say, did I play this game in the last year? If not, it needs to go. So it has a it has a year. What if it's been a year, but you really want to get it to the table again? It stays, I assume? Yeah. Yep. Or if it's smaller, I tend to keep smaller games that are easier to play. You know, like if do I remember the rules? That that's what I ask myself. Could I could I pull this off the shelf right now and play it? And if the answer is no, and I'm and I'm not willing to learn it that I get rid of it. <laughs> you have such it. harsh criteria for your I games. know. I think I'm really unique. I don't think most people are like me. I'm also really cheap and I hate waste. So like if I play buy a game and then don't like it, that really bugs me. So I like to immediately get rid of it because then I look at the game and I'm reminded that I bought something I don't like. Like Meadow's a prime example. I'm surprised mm-hmm. you like, we played it and you're like, This game's out. You, I mean, you sold it that night to somebody. Mm-hmm. And I have no qualms. And like another one like that I play a lot with my husband that's really good, like Seven Wonders Duel. I love that game. It's really good. We played it a ton. But I, but I haven't played it in the last couple of years, so I traded that in the math trade. I traded a lot of good games. Res Arcana. I love Res Arcana. I gave it a 9 out of 10. But I didn't buy the expansion, and I don't play my own copy because I don't play with my family. I play... You know, you guys is copying, and a lot of people in my game group own it, so I don't need to own it anymore. 
you know, I, I, that's why I tend to most like half my games are games I play with my kids, you know, because those games get the most plays. And then the other half are ones that I'd play with my friends because they don't own them, you know, and they don't have a big board and gaming collection. And because any games that are, that are kind of big and epic, you guys own. And so I just don't need to, because if I'm going to play that game, it's going to be with you guys. So we both don't need to own it. I think that's one of the differences between, let's say you and I is you don't feel like you need to own that game because you're going to play it with somebody else. Whereas me, I tend to like to be the person that, oh, Bob owns that game. Let's have him bring it. Yeah. Granted, I mean, comparatively speaking, as far as collections are concerned, my collection is some would consider it meager compared to some of these large collections people have. I think for me, yeah, I definitely like to be the one that brings it. But again, I think when it, I think what boils down to with collections is it's unique to each individual. Some people like me like to have a specific amount of games where they can be the one that brings them to game night. I was the one that teaches them. You know, I, like I said, I have over 200, but I think that's a little high for me and I probably need to get, I'm probably going to end up getting rid of 15 to 20 games would be my guess, you know, and more than likely new games are going to come and replace those or whatever. But, and then there's people like Natasha who just, you know, can have a smaller collection and still be fine. Yeah. I think the the gist of it is you don't need to own all the games, but if you want to, that's fine too. But don't feel pressure that you need to jump right in and because all you'll end up doing is kind of regretting that and reselling them. Yeah. It's hard to do. You want to do the research, but it's so incredibly difficult as a new player, a new person in the hobby to really understand what it is you like and don't like about specific games. But the the more you look at stuff and the more you research it, I think the the better off you'll be. Yep. All right. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to Our Shenanigans. Join us next week where we're going to do a fun game of Would You Rather. Board game edition. <laughs> Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Send us your questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.